0: trust in a way that i cannot see that's what faith must be <clears throat> my name is matt Duransky. i'm not the pastor here so if uh, you came looking for pastor bill he's sitting down front here today Uh, And if you would like for him to preach to you today, uh, he'll be glad to take you somewhere else and preach to you. (laughs) (laughs) You're stuck stuck with me. Uh, Pastor and I actually talked about uh, putting this series together um, over a month ago. And when he did, uh, he asked me to take this week and next week. And one of the reasons he asked me to take this week is is after the election. Uh, (laughs) Chicken. (laughs) But, uh, no, just teasing. Uh, But uh, also, uh, I'm a graduate of the U.S. Naval Academy. uh, So... (laughs) Um, uh, Not a huge deal. Uh, But but, uh, I also uh, was in the Navy, obviously, flew planes and... uh, then uh, got out and worked in the defense industry. Uh, all of that was for over 27 years, and uh, Jody and I and our kids have been here uh, for 23 years, been a member of the church for 23 years, and uh, currently uh, retired from the defense industry four years ago, and I teach 11th grade Bible along with Jody at Grace Christian Academy. So <clears throat> a little bit, of, little bit of background on me. Uh, We've been going through this series, uh, Pastor Walker kicked it off uh, with the overarching uh, topic of seeing with the eyes of faith. And uh, I told Pastor that uh, as I was preparing for this, it wasn't until this week when I looked, uh, looked at his slides and I saw that he had a question mark after that. Uh, I'm not terribly observant sometimes and I missed the fact that there was a question mark there but I think it's great that there's a question mark there because one of the things that we want to look at is, hey, am I looking at things through the eyes of faith? Am I looking at things from God's perspective? Uh, uh, God has given me this ability through God the Holy Spirit to see things from his perspective. Am I doing that? Because when we get away from that, uh, all kinds of problems arise. We get fearful, uh, we get disillusioned, (laughs) we get angry, We get frustrated, uh, so I think it's great there's a question mark. Last week, uh, Pastor Walker talked about seeing myself as God sees me, and he talked about the fact that, uh, from Romans 8, that uh, there's now no condemnation and that we are declared righteous by God. We are credited with the righteousness of Jesus Christ, which is a wonderful thing. And not only that, but then we are a child of God. We're in God's family. And if we're in God's family, then we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. I, I, I like in that verse, for some reason it's always brought to my mind, that we go to the front of the line. We're not at the back of the line. We are joint heirs with the firstborn of all creation. Think about that. Let that marinate for a minute. It's pretty amazing. <clears throat> amazing stuff. pastor could have preached probably for three months on Romans chapter 8. Uh, and maybe sometimes uh, he'll, he'll do that. But today's topic is seeing my country as God sees it. And before we go any further, uh, bow your heads with me and let's pray. <clears throat> Father God, you're so great. You're so awesome. It's very humbling that you would deign to speak to us. I thank you and I praise you that you have given us your word. I thank you and I praise you that you have given us God the Holy Spirit to illuminate our hearts. I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds now. May we see beyond the physical. May we see the spiritual. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O God, my strength and my Redeemer, in Jesus' precious name, Amen. Okay. Turning your Bibles to 1 Peter. And I'm going to tell you right now we're going, to, we're going to hit portions of 1 Peter today. We're even going to skip over to Romans chapter 13. But uh, I would encourage you to read the book of 1 Peter. Uh, it is so, so relevant to the church in this day and age. Obviously it was so relevant to the church in that day and age and that's what God the Holy Spirit does. The Bible says that his word is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And so something that was written so long ago can be relevant then and it can be very, very relevant today. And that's the power of the word and that's the power of God the Holy Spirit making it relevant. I'm clicking and it ain't happening. There we go. Uh, two weeks ago, Pastor Walker took us to this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and it's one of my favorite passages uh, because it's, God used this passage uh, to turn a light on in my feeble brain uh, at, at one point. And, and what it says is, who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him, and part of that assumes the fact that you understand that you are a spiritual being. You are a spirit being. That sounds spooky and mystical and all of that stuff, but it's not really. It's, not really, it's biblical. Uh, and, and who knows your thoughts except you? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. pastor said, that's what the Holy Spirit is for. There are lots of other purposes and there's lots more to the mission of God the Holy Spirit but when you receive Jesus as your Savior God the Holy Spirit invades your life and the purpose is so that you might understand the things that are freely given uh, given to us by God and we impart these not in words taught by human wisdom but taught by the Spirit interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are folly or foolishness to him, and he's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. So it sets the table for the fact that there are two ways of looking at things, right? There's the natural way of looking at things, and there's the fleshly way of looking at things, and then there's God's way of looking at things. And we can only see God's way, we can only see the real reality, I like to call it, through God the Holy Spirit. So let me just take a a moment here and say to you, if you're here today and you haven't received Jesus as your Savior, you're not going to be able to discern spiritual truth. It'll seem foolish to you, as it says, because they're spiritually discerned. They're discerned through God the Holy Spirit speaking to me, my spirit, so that I might understand the things that God has freely given us. Pastor also put up this quote from Tim Keller last week that said, Faith is not the absence of thinking, but it is thinking and acting on the basis of the word and the promises of God. It's not just some metaphysical philosophy. Faith is not just a metaphysical philosophy. I put these other two verses uh, to go with it today. Blessed be the God of our Father brother and father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to his great mercy he has caused us to be born again to a living hope see that over in chapter 1 1st Peter chapter 1 verse 3 through the resurrection of Christ Jesus from the dead a living hope that says in the here and now that says something that is alive now something that is alive with you and then picking back up on Romans chapter 8 from last week If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Think about it. The spirit who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. And he dwells in you so that you can have life, so that you can have spiritual life, so that you can see life as God sees life so what here's what Paul says from now on therefore we regard no one you can say no thing because if you read the rest of the Bible it certainly includes that we regard no one according to the flesh. We don't look at stuff from the physical perspective anymore. We look at things from the spiritual perspective. We don't regard anyone according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. This is a spiritual journey that we're on. This flesh is temporary. The physical is temporary. Heaven and earth's going to pass away. So that's why I say the real reality is God's reality. The real reality is the spiritual reality. Because the physical reality is temporary. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Don't let your familiarity with this verse let your mind not get the impact that statement it's not a fixed creation it's not a repaired creation it's not a modified creation it is a new creation and to emphasize that point he says the old has passed away the old is dead that's what he's saying dead ain't coming back gone the old is dead Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. So I'm going to see the world now differently because I have been born again to a living hope. 1 Peter 1.3 I now have the supernatural ability to see life, to see the world from a spiritual perspective. Think about that if you are in Christ you have this supernatural ability and yet as I said sometimes we go back over and we start looking from the physical and bad things happen when we as believers start looking at everything from the physical perspective we get frustrated we get disillusioned we get angry we get snarky We get hurt because we're looking at things from the physical rather than from the spiritual. I I will just say right up front, I'm not going to get political today. I absolutely 100% do not want to get political today. So if you interpret anything that I say as political, it will just be because I didn't word things in a way that avoided confusion. But I will tell you that in the last year and a half, I've seen a lot of Christians looking at our country, looking at government, and even looking at other people through physical eyes and not through spiritual eyes. And that's not what we're called for. That's not the new creation. That's not all new things. So in that vein, we're going to go through three points real quick. And uh, here's what I want you to do. First thing is I want you to relax. Chill. Smile. Don't worry. I may step on your toes. I may not step on your toes. Take a deep breath. Smile relax we're going to relax we're going to as a group revisit the truth of God's word and I hope it means that you and I are going to recommit ourselves to the living hope to the hope that is within us now the three points I'm going to make I'm going to start off by talking about the way God sees our country. And there are many, many points I could have made. You thought preaching out of Romans 8 for a week was rough? Uh, this, can be, this can be pretty tough. But <clears throat> I called this down to three points. And I start each point about how God sees things from a negative point of view. And it's not that God is negative. I actually did it for the shock factor because I want you to understand how radical, there's another R for you, how radical this life in Christ is. Here's the first point. Don't get up and walk out. Here's the first point. America is not my nation. Look over at verse 9 in chapter 2. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you had received mercy. In a half a verse in the front end of verse 9, he wipes away your ethnicity. You're a chosen race. He didn't say you're Caucasian, you're African American, you're Oriental he didn't say any of that he said you are a chosen race he wipes out your nationality you're a holy nation you're not American you're not Canadian you're not Mexican you're not French you're not Australian you are a holy nation he wipes out your occupation you're not an engineer you're not a salesperson you're not a real estate agent You're not a teacher, you're not an administrator, you're a royal priesthood. He tells you what your occupation is. Then he wipes out any right that you claim to yourself. He says you are a people for his own possession. And notice if that's not enough, in verse 10, he footstops on that and he says, Oh, by the way, once you weren't a people. So all of that that you thought you were and all of that that you claimed to be before I, I saved you, before God the Holy Spirit invaded your life, you weren't even a people. But now you are. You're a people for his own possession. Now, here's the physical reality, right? America is my nation. When you drive home today, you might see American flags. There's one right over there. You're still in America. When you drive home, you'll be made aware of America's laws because there'll be a speed limit sign on the side of the road. The reality is, the physical reality, is that you're still in America. And living in America, you call yourself an American. Right? So now we have the spiritual reality, the spiritual truth, as God sees it, but we see the physical reality which we should be able to see beyond now. 324,903,123 people in the United States of America as of uh, yesterday at some point when I took this snapshot. We're the third most populous country in the world. You may not can see some of the stats here on the counter from the Census Bureau. One birth every eight seconds, one death every 12 seconds one international migrant net every 28 seconds net gain of one person every 13 seconds if that doesn't tell you that you're in a dynamic place that is alive that in this case is growing that is changing it's very real so how do we live given this situation live as a resident alien That's what it says look at verse 11 beloved I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul keep your conduct among the Gentiles and oh by the way I'm going to substitute the word in there Americans keep your conduct among the Americans honorable so that when they speak against you as evil evildoers they may see your good deeds and glorify your your God on the day of visitation that those words sojourners and exiles in King James gets translated as strangers and pilgrims in NIV it gets translated as foreigners and exiles Uh, in New American Standard it gets translated as aliens and strangers I like the New Living Translation that says temporary residents and foreigners. The reason I don't like exiles is because very often an exile is someone who has either fled or been kicked out of a a country and run to another for safe harbor. And there is some application there. And next week we'll talk about exactly some of the terms that the nation of Israel used uh, in this context. But I think you get the point, Okay. We're resident aliens. I'm old enough, you probably aren't, to remember one of the uh, early Christian rock bands, Petra. And they had, they had a song, right? That said we are, it had all of this eerie kind of uh, music and uh, the, the chorus of the song was, we are strangers, we are aliens, we are not of this world. We are strangers, we are aliens, we are not of this world. So, what does it mean? How do we live in this world seeing things from a spiritual perspective, seeing things as God sees them? Notice that there is a mission here. Even if you look back over to chapter 1 and verse 13, it says therefore preparing your minds for action he doesn't say hunker in the bunker he doesn't say go meet with the frozen chosen he says you're gonna get up and you got a job to do so get ready for action and what's the purpose statement in verse 9 of chapter 2 that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light I love this because the eye is an optical sensor right the eye senses light and now he's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light we can now sense his marvelous light then if you go through the rest of, of first Peter you'll see lots of verses that talk about good deeds Keep your conduct among the Americans honorable so that they may see your good deeds and glorify God for this is the will of God that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people and if you think he's being pejorative there he's not being pejorative over in verse 14 of chapter 1 he says do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance The fool has said in his heart that there is no God. Sometimes the fool hasn't even heard about God. For this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put the silence, the ignorance of foolish people. Then if you go to verse 20 and chapter 3 and chapter 4, you're going to continue to see references to good deeds but I want to look over at chapter 3 verse 8 real quick so if you have your Bibles look across the page there because right now we live in a world that needs Jesus and we need we live in a world that needs us you don't have to read the opinion polls to know that there are people out there who are hurting and people who are disillusioned. People are disillusioned with the political process. People are disillusioned with the country. People are confused. People are afraid. And people are coming to the realization that they've put their trust and their faith in the wrong thing. And they need Jesus. They need you. They need the church. Here's what Peter says in verse 8 of chapter 3. Finally, all of you have unity of mind. I hope that when we walk out of here and there are exit poles being taken out on the front step, we're going to all have unity of mind about what matters I'm not talking about political unity of mind by the way and I'm not talking about political exit polls sympathy brotherly love a tender heart a humble mind do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling but on the contrary bless for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. You cannot do this. You cannot do what you're called to do without being in fellowship with the Lord Peter makes this point all the way through that if there's sin in your life you need to deal with it you need to confess your sin and you need to be cleansed because when we talked about from 1 Corinthians chapter 2 God's spirit meeting with our spirit so that we can understand the things that God has freely given us When sin comes in our life, it puts dirt in between that fellowship. And I'm not going to be able to understand as well as I could the deep things of God, the things that God has freely given us. And the way to get rid of that dirt, 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness cannot do this without intimate close fellowship leadership guidance from God the Holy Spirit but it's to this that we're called it's to all of those things unity sympathy brotherly love a tender heart what he's saying in effect by talking over and over and over again about doing good good deeds doing good good deeds is he saying live the gospel Live the gospel. Live and love like Jesus. That's our calling. But lest we say, yeah, but I'm going to get a pass on being able to verbalize the gospel. Here's what he says, chapter 3 and verse 15. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Do you know how to lead somebody to Christ? Do you know how to share the gospel? Do you know how to present the gospel? Do you know enough Bible so that you can sit down and help them understand that this is from God and this is not from you? It is your responsibility. It is your God-assigned responsibility to not only live the gospel, but to share, preach the gospel. You don't have to come up here. But you need to be able to show the truth from God's word, to share the truth from God's word. It's your responsibility. Okay, we're going to go fast because my wife said she was leaving if I wasn't done on time. Next point. America and its laws are not the basis for my morality before we get too happy with the amens let me tell you what is the character of God is the basis for my morality let me say that again the character of a holy righteous unique and pure God is the basis for my morality. Look over at chapter 1 and verse 15. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Holy means set apart. Holy means unique. God is unique, God has personality, he is a person, he's three persons, one God, he exhibits personality, he communicates, but God is not a human, he is unique, and he is pure, no sin, can't be in the presence of sin, and so what's our calling? What's the standard? Unique. Apart from sin. How you doing on that? Somebody went to your house and said, Can I tell any difference between these people and what they do and what they have and the way they think and the people next door? Would you appear to be unique? Remember, I'm not talking about uniqueness for your sake. I'm talking about uniqueness for God's sake. Are you pure? How about that sin issue? So I'm separated to God to be unique and pure. And oh, by the way, he reminds us all through 1 Peter that I'm going to be accountable for my, what I call, practical righteousness. I'm going to be accountable for what I do for the deeds that are done in the flesh. And you can see some of the references here. I'm not only going to be accountable then at the Bama seat where our works will be judged, but I'm accountable now. We read that in chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. That's part of accountability. Being clean. Being in fellowship with him. God wants to work through you a clean vessel. So I'm accountable. But from the physical perspective, in the physical realm, America is governed by the rule of law. There are at least 5,000 criminal laws, and I'm just talking criminal laws here. There are up to 300,000 regulations in the United States alone that can be enforced criminally and here's a quote I pulled off of a website called townhall.com the code has become so big that the Congressional Research Service and the American Bar Association simply do not have enough staff to adequately categorize every law that we have on the books so you can tell me Mr. Matt You can tell me, Mr. Peter, that God is the standard and that God is the basis for my morality, but I still live in the U.S. of A. with those 324 million people and these 300,000 regulations, criminal regulations. So how do we live in a society like this? Obviously, we want to be unique. We want to be pure. A lot of Christian people whom I respect have written a lot and said a lot in the last two or three weeks. And John Piper, whom I really respect and appreciate, wrote something on November the 2nd. And uh, here's what he said. He said, the children of God are free from any human institutions and relate to them on the basis of kingdom kingdom aims that do not come from this world. And as Piper can be sometimes, he's so intelligent, he's hard to understand. So I had to print out his thing and read it four or five times to make sure I understood his point. But his, his point really was that you are free from All of these laws, you are free from all of this human government. You are free from the laws of the United States of America. In God's eyes, from a spiritual perspective, you are free from all of that. They have no authority over you. But since I, God, have authority over you, I'm going to tell you to keep the law. And so, I'm going to tell you to be subject, chapter 2, verse 13, for the Lord's sake. And then if you go down further and you look at verse 16 it says live as people who are free so yes we are free because we answer to a higher calling everybody anybody here old enough to remember the Hebrew national commercials about their kosher hot dogs (laughs) and it ended with we answer to a higher calling okay we answer to a higher calling And because we answer to a higher calling, we're free. But what does he say? Live as people who are free, but don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Don't use your freedom as a cover-up to live like the devil. Don't use your freedom as a cover-up to live like the world. Because you're a servant of God. A bond slave, actually, if you want to... Word here is dulos, and even the ESV translators debated long and hard over how to translate that word. So you're a resident alien alien servant with a mission to do good. You with me so far? A resident alien, alien servant with a mission to do good. Here are what I call the go-dos, the explicit go-dos. Here. Be subject to your government. It didn't say be subject if it's somebody you voted for, if your government is from the party that you like, if it's George Washington, if it's Barack Obama, if it's Donald Trump, if it's Adolf Hitler. Be subject. We don't have time to get into theodicy and how God and his sovereignty deals with evil and uses evil. But I like what John MacArthur, by the way, is one of those people. Well, he posted four hours worth of sermons on this about three weeks ago. And when he got to this point in his congregation, he said, Don't argue with me. God said it. God said it. Be subject. In fact, we'll look at Romans 13 in a minute it says resist at your own peril Romans 13 says pay your taxes I don't necessarily enjoy paying my taxes I'm retired I'm living on a fixed income the Word of God says pay your taxes it even goes so far as to say give honor look at verse 17 honor everyone love the brotherhood fear God honor the Emperor you realize how tough that statement was the emperor said i'm god and everybody in the roman empire will worship me at the peril of your life the jews were so small and so weird the romans didn't bother to try to kill them all at least immediately and the christians even more so but that was coming when he wrote this and part of the reason first peter was written was to warn believers that that was coming but nonetheless Peter a guy who had zero vote in a empire that had zero electoral college who was under the rule of someone who at a whim could come and kill him and not only that but he was then under the rule he was under the rule of the emperor he was under the rule of Herod who could at one word say go kill all the babies because I'm afraid somebody's coming to take over my throne he was under the rule he was under the rule of the Jewish leadership because they ran things in Jerusalem he was under the rule of Pontius Pilate he had layer upon layer upon layer of rulers over him and he's the one who's saying give honor that's proactive that's not don't criticize don't say anything bad it's give honor don't look funny at me God said it give honor and pray first Timothy 2 says first of all then I urge you that supplications prayers intercessions and thanksgiving be made for all people for kings and for all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life Godly and dignified in every way, this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved to come to the knowledge of the truth. I love the fact that he reminded us of the mission beyond praying. I hope you're going to pray for your leadership. I hope you do pray for your leadership. We're called to do that. And oh, by the way, there are benefits for us that we might lead a peaceful and quiet life okay? there are benefits from, for us as well I want to address something real quick here because we're short on time and that is the issue of civil disobedience it's pretty straightforward if the government tells you to do something that God forbids you to do then you can disobey. But you need to be ready to suffer the consequences. I would argue that you even need to appeal to the government, to try to work with the government. But ultimately, as Peter and the apostles said in Acts chapter 5, we're going to serve God rather than men when they were hauled before the leadership for preaching the gospel. There may come a time when I have to go to jail for proclaiming truth out of God's word. There may be a time when Pastor Walker goes to jail for proclaiming God's truth. And conversely, if the government tells you you can't do something that God has told you you must do, such as preaching the gospel, preaching the full authority of the word of God, then you can disobey. You respond to a higher authority civil disobedience. But there's plenty for us to do within the context of the civil construct here. Okay, last point. Three minutes, don't leave. Americans' government is not by the people. Turn to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. Page 948 in my Bible. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. To Quote John MacArthur. God said it. God said it. God institutes human governments. It's not new news. Romans 13, 7 is not new news. It's God who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root on the earth when he blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. Blessed is the name of God. This is Daniel praying in front of Nebuchadnezzar. This is Daniel, a a God follower, a government worker, a civil servant, praying in front of his boss. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. It's not new news. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. God institutes human government. God institutes all human government. Think about that. So in one respect, Jesus is Lord is a political statement, right? Jesus is Lord. You should take some comfort in this. The King of kings and the Lord of lords is on the throne and is in charge of our land. But America is a democratic republic. Chose those words carefully. Some of you who are historians may argue with me with that wording. It says it right in our constitution that we derive the just powers from the consent of the governed. And oh, by the way, if the, the people don't like it, it's the right of the people to alter or to abolish it. That's what our constitution says. But all human government is instituted by God. 127 million people just voted for president. It's a reality. We live in a democratic republic. And so it's a stewardship issue. God has caused us to be born again to a living hope in the here and now. So God hasn't told us to get on the sidelines He has ransomed us to a living hope and first Corinthians says moreover it's required of a steward that they be found faithful we don't live in the Roman Empire we live in the United States of America we have the right to vote we have the right to assemble I have the right to stand up and say all the things that you've heard me say today without fear of harm and without fear of going to jail It's a wonderful blessing that God has given us. But don't lose sight of the fact that the blessing is not a political blessing. That is not the end. The end is not a political end. Jesus never said, nor did he attempt to change the world through political processes. In fact, he told Pilate, my kingdom's not of this world. If it were, my dudes would have fought. I like the way Paul put it and this kind of ties these concepts together though I'm free from all I've made myself a servant of all you're a resident alien servant for good that I might win the more of him and then notice that he might win Jews that those who are under the law that he might win those who are under the law those outside the law that I might win those outside the law those who are weak that I might save some I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in his blessings notice he didn't say I do this to people who are of the same ethnic group as me so that they will share the same political beliefs and the same policy thoughts that I have. I do this with the religious people so that I might get them to believe in the things that I believe in and the policies that I support from a governmental perspective. He said, my focus in my relationship with these people is that I might point them to Jesus Christ. It's for the sake of the gospel. It's a stewardship issue. It's for the Lord's sake. Pastor Walker sent me this. I don't think it was to admonish me, but (laughs) it was to perhaps use. The focus is on Jesus. People are not going to be able to see their country, themselves, or the world as God sees it without first coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ we don't get a vote on that it's our responsibility it's our mission God has put you here by his sovereignty you do not live in Rome in 8040. 40. You do not live in Australia in 1720. You live in the United States of America in the year 2016. You are here for a purpose. You are here for a reason. I like what Mordecai said to Esther as they were aliens and strangers. He said, and who knows whether, whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. You are here for this time in America. Understand that. Let God teach you that. And then go out and live as a resident alien servant for good, for the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you and I praise you for your word. I thank you for God, the Holy Spirit. And Father, I pray that you will take these words and that you will convict us, that you will guide us, that you will lead us so that we will live and love like Jesus in a confused, fearful, disillusioned, and lost world. For it's in his name I pray, amen. One uh, last homework assignment. Oh, well, it went away. Read Luke chapter 10 next week. The story of the Good Samaritan. Thank you. We're done.